I think we all can agree that one of the worst feelings in the world is being woken up early in the morning by your mom or your dad coming in your room, opening up the blinds, turning the lights on, and abruptly telling you, hey, wake up, wake up, wake up, hey, it's time to wake up. That's the worst feeling. Whether it's on a Sunday morning and you've slept long and you're late for church, or whether it's on a weekday and you've got something important at school and you're just trying to get to school on time, it always kind of feels, I don't know, invasive, makes you feel small, makes you feel like a young kid. My first reaction is like, hey, gosh, I'm... Get out of here, Mom and Ellie. You don't want to be in here. But there's a lot of feelings that you have, and it is a little bit invasive if you think about it. Someone coming in your room and waking you up. Can I just tell you, that has not happened to me for a long time. Well, actually, that's not true. Now my kids just scream from downstairs, and that's how they wake me up. But uh, no, nobody's coming to my room for a long time, uh, maybe since I was a kid. But that's a feeling that you've had before. Maybe some of you sensed it. Maybe it happened this morning for some of you. You were late to church, and your parents were saying, get up, get up, get up. And your parents had to turn the lights on. Uh, Well, the reason that has to happen sometimes is because we need to get woken up sometimes. You know, if you're late for church or you're late for school, I hope that in the end, you can be mature enough to say, yeah, I didn't like maybe how my parents woke me up in the morning. Did you have to open up the blinds like that? Did you have to turn the lights on like that? Maybe you might ask those kinds of questions, but hopefully in the end, you're mature enough to say, you know what? I'm glad they got me up. Because if nobody came in and nobody woke me up, I would have been late. I would have missed something, depending on what it is. Um, Hopefully you can be thankful for that in the end. I don't know how you feel when you come to church, but here's how a lot of people feel when they come to church or when they hear a sermon or they read their Bible. They feel like someone is coming into their room early in the morning and opening up the blinds and shining the light in their face and saying, wake up. And it feels those same feelings, intrusive, uh, feels uncomfortable. Sometimes it feels like, man, why does this have to happen this way? Maybe you don't even like how the message is delivered. That's That's true sometimes. But if you can step back and say, you know what, I'm glad that someone is shining the light into my life, hopefully uh, you'll respond well to whatever the message is. Now, that's true about a lot of things with God's word, but this morning we're going to look at a text that says that God does something to people when they become Christians. He shines a light into their lives, and what that does is it exposes a lot of things. It exposes their sin. It exposes their need for a Savior. It exposes many things about our life, and then it calls us as Christians, if you are one, to live an exposed kind of life. What that means is that your life is on display for everyone to see, and that your life will be judged with a small j by the outside world every single day, and you need to be willing and ready to take that. If you've got a Bible, please open up to Ephesians chapter 5. Let's look at this together. Paul says, the lights go on in your life when you're a Christian. Problem is, a lot of Christians who have the gospel, who've had their lives exposed, so to speak, right? When you become a Christian, you know your life gets exposed a little bit. Because when you become a Christian, that means you heard the gospel, and you repented of your sins, and you put your faith in Christ. Repentance means that you're at least identifying what your sin is and saying, I'm not going to do it anymore. So when the gospel comes into your life, you get exposed as a bad person. That's, that's kind of the truth. You ever share the gospel with somebody and you're talking about sin and then they maybe come to you and say, well, does that mean that, that like we're a, a bad people? Does that mean everyone's a bad person if we're all sinners? And some of us are quick to be like, no, 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 that's not what it means. No, no, it means something else. Well, biblically, that is actually exactly what it means. We all are bad people to the core and God needs to change us and forgive us. 
So when the gospel comes in your life, and when you became a Christian, if you are one, what you did is you brought your sin into the light. You said, I've been doing all these sins, I've been doing wrong, but God, please forgive me. When you confess your sin, it means you're taking things that are hidden and then making them revealed. And with God, it means you're just taking your sin and saying, God, forgive me of this sin. You were exposed when you heard the gospel. Maybe you didn't think about it that way, but that is what happened. What Paul's going to say now is if you're exposed as a sinner by the gospel and now you're living as a Christian, you need to constantly walk in light. Like when the gospel shined on your life, there was light that was shown into your life. The, the, the sin was exposed. Everything in your life was exposed. But now as a Christian, you need to live in that same way. If that doesn't make much sense, keep reading this. Check out what it says. Verse number seven um, starts off by saying, therefore, which takes us back to what we learned last week. He says last week, uh, what we covered was, don't be deceived into thinking that everyone who commits these kinds of sins is okay with God. Don't be deceived about that. You gotta realize that there's a lot of people that claim to be Christians who are enslaved to sin, and he says, just know there's no inheritance in the kingdom of God for those people. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Verse number seven. Therefore, do not become partners with them. So, who's them? Well, last verse says, the sons of disobedience. The people who live right now doing whatever they want to do in life, with their friendships, with school, with everything. They just do whatever they want to do. Here's what God's word says for you if you're a Christian. Do not become a partner with them. Or maybe a better way of saying it, don't share in the sin that they're doing. And a lot of you know this. If you have had close relationships with people who are constantly doing what God hates, you know that the more time you spend with them and the the longer amount of time that you uh, build some of those friendships, sometimes what happens is you start doing the things that they're doing. And he says, don't become partners with them. Verse 8 says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. That's a truth that I've tried to show in a lot of different ways in the book of Ephesians. But Paul will oftentimes say, hey, if you're a Christian, you are something new. So now you got to live like the new thing that you are. When we were covering the beginning of this series, the first sermon, this is sermon number 10, from the series New Life, but the first sermon back in November from this series was Ephesians 4, 1 to 3, where it says you need to walk worthy, which means as a Christian, you need to live up to what we're called to do. That's what the goal of our Christian life is, continue to live more like what God calls us to do. Last couple verses of, uh, or the first couple verses of Ephesians 5 says you need to walk in love. Now this one says you need to walk in light. What does that mean? It means that your lifestyle needs to be categorized by the things that he's about to say. Goodness, righteousness, truth. That's what happens to a Christian. But for you, sometimes the mentality just needs to change. Living as a Christian is not just about doing good things. It's not just about like, hey, what better thing can you do today? That's not what it's all about. Here it says, you know, walk in light because you are called light now. You are something new, so now you're supposed to live like something new. It's not saying you're going to earn your way into the status of light by being good and righteous and true. It says you are now righteous and true before God, so you better live like it. Earlier he said, you're saints, called holy ones before God. So the, the pressure on us now is, hey, we'll live like it now. So many of us don't even listen to that. If you're wondering, okay, what does light look like? Verse number 9 tells you the truth. Check this out in your Bibles. Verse number 9 says, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So how can I know that someone's walking in light? Well, I'm going to see a lot of these three things. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. 
goodness, right? What's that? The opposite of evil, right? Um, what's right or righteous? Well, that means the opposite of unfair or unrighteous, right? If you've got a situation where you can do the right thing and it'll cost you, or the wrong thing because it's easier, the person who's walking in light will say, I'm going to choose whatever's right, even if it's a harder thing. And then also, what is true, right? that you're growing in knowledge of the truth, that you're not deceiving yourself, that you're not spreading lies about God or about sin or about yourself or about anything. Walking in truth. And then a summary statement. Look at verse number 10. It says, and try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. That's a good summary statement for what it looks like to live as a Christian. You need to do your best to try to discern what's going to be pleasing to God for me to do today. With this situation at school or this situation at home, what does God want me to do? What would be pleasing? What, what could I say that would be pleasing to him? What could I do? That would be pleasing to him. I got two options or three options or a thousand options. What should I do? Well, what I want to do is whatever's pleasing to the Lord. Verse 11 says, therefore, so take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. He already said, take no part. That's just kind of repeating what verse 7 says. Verse 7 says, don't be a partner with them. Verse 11 just kind of explains more. Hey, don't take part in the sin that they're doing. But he goes a step further, a step that many of us are not willing to go. Some of you might say, okay, I'm living as a Christian. That's fine. Well, I'm fine like doing my own thing in my own area as long as, you know, non-Christians, you know, they can look at it. That's fine. But like, I don't want to have any interaction that might become awkward with them. Well, this says you can't just, as a Christian, live your life in your own little corner. He says you also, a part of taking no part in the unfruitful works of darkness is you're also going to have to expose those sinful things. Now, you might say, well, what does that mean? Like, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that expose things. One, one group of people is the, the gossip writers or the paparazzi, right? They go into private places of either people's lives or their personal lives or literally like paparazzi goes to places that feel, you know, like this, I shouldn't be here taking pictures and they go expose it, right? Is that what we're talking about? Well, verse number 12 will answer that question. Verse number 12 says, that's not what we're talking about. We're not saying you're going to go and like seek out all the dirty little secrets that everyone has and then put them on blast. Verse 12 says, for it's shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. So the point is, as a Christian, you're not just like looking at all the non-Christians in your life and saying, okay, let me find all their sin. Let's, where is it? Okay, what are you doing? And then digging around in their life and finding all the sin. That's not what he's trying to say by exposing. That's a good question because we might have that opinion. We read that and say, oh, what does it mean to expose those works? Well, he goes on, verse number 13. says, but when anything is exposed by the light, when you shine a light on something, it says it becomes visible. Right? That's obvious. This week I spent a lot of time in the dark, which you might say, what are you talking about? I spent a lot of time in the dark because Eden was sick earlier in the week and we were up a lot in the night. It, it just seemed like the bad hours this last week have been between 12.30 and 3.30 in the morning. Those are the hours you should be sleeping, right? You should never be awake. Through, you know, those are the hours that Eden was assigned to, to cry. And, you know, Eden needs not just her one pacifier in her mouth. You know what she likes? She likes the second pacifier. Because sometimes when she's just sleeping, she'll, like, throw one of the pacifiers. And then she's only got one left. This is kind of very, you know, I don't know if this is good parenting or bad parenting, whatever. But... We always try to get her two pacifiers or three. So there were, I came down, you know, in the middle of the night, and she's there, and, you know, she's standing at the, the bars of the crib, you know, like a prisoner, like, screaming, like, help me, help me. It's like, where are your pacifiers? And, like, they're not in her bed, right? That's why she's screaming and wanting to wake me up, right? And then I'm, like, looking around, and I can't find them, so I spent a lot of time on the ground 
underneath her crib this week, digging out passive. Like you would, you would laugh if you saw me. Um, it was very humbling. But point is, um, I didn't want to like turn the lights on because you know she's there. Well, she's not sleeping. Jordan is there and he's kind of sleeping a little bit. But I need to take my phone out and constantly shine the light. Like literally, I spent. Maybe it's just because I'm stubborn. I probably spent five or six minutes looking for this one pacifier everywhere in that stinking room in the dark, and I couldn't find it. But I didn't have my phone with me, so I would have to go upstairs, but I didn't want to do it. So I was looking, and then the moment, right, I'm like, I, just, I, I give up, grab my phone, and it was like right where I was looking the whole time, and you've had moments like that. Point is, when you shine the light on something, it exposes what's there. What he's, he's saying here is when you shine the light on sin, it exposes what's really there. A lot of people don't view themselves as sinners. They think that they're doing normal things. This is what everybody does. I'm just doing whatever I want. Right? That's not so bad, is it? It can't be that bad. But this says when the light exposes sin, it shows the true character of sin. It says for anything, verse 14, that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That little phrase right there, Sounds like it comes from something in the Old Testament. Um, it sounds a lot like Isaiah chapter 60. It sounds a lot like Isaiah 26. It's not a direct quotation, but the point is it uses this Old Testament language to say this. Hey, if you don't know God, you need the light of Christ to shine on you. He says, awake, wake up, get up, sleeper. Arise from the dead, right? Are we talking about like, I don't know, some kind of physical resurrection? I don't think that's what he's referring to, right? In Isaiah 26, that's what it's referring to. But he uses that language to say, that's what happens when you get saved. Someone comes to your life and says, hey, wake up, O sleeper. Arise, you're dead in your sin. Get up from your death and sin, and Christ will shine on you. You'll be saved. That's what happens when you interact with people. When you live your righteous life and you share God's truth with other people, you now become like your mom or your dad coming in your room waking you up. Now, a lot of you, Dread the idea of ever waking someone up in the middle of the night, right? Like your parents do to you. They they come in the morning and they put the blinds up and you think, when I'm a parent, I won't do that. Um, Well, with the gospel, that's all of our roles. If you become a Christian, your job now is to shine that light. And what he says is start out by shining it in your behavior. So take no part in the dark works, right? And then you'll be in the position to shine it with the truth. And the main point of this whole passage, right, we just covered a lot of verses here, but the main point of all this is if you're a Christian, you're called to walk in light, right? And then you're called to shine that light to other people, the light of the truth of the gospel. Here's the point. You will not do a good job sharing God's truth with people if you're not living in light. If you do not have a clear conscience before God, you're not going to share God's truth very often. Or if you do, you'll be just a hypocrite. Many of you have been in situations where, you know, maybe you're a professing Christian and you want to share the truth with somebody, but all you can focus on when you want to maybe, you know, step up and share God's truth, you kind of step down and say, well, I shouldn't do that because, you know, I sinned a lot today too. And again, the point is, you know, not that you can't share the truth if you've sinned, but the point is, if you don't have a clear conscience, if you're not walking in light before God, you're not going to be a good light bearer to other people. You're not going to share God's truth the way you need to. So both of those things have to take place in our life, living with a clear conscience, with nothing to hide, and also shining the light of God's truth. The first step in all this is point number one from verses eight, nine, and 10, which is this. I'd love for you to write it down. I want you to ask yourself if God is pleased with your choices. That's very simple, but I want you to just start by asking yourself, is God pleased with my choices? This comes from this passage about walking in light and discerning what's pleasing to the Lord. Some of us 
live our lives and we have our friendships and we do our sports and we do everything that we do. We do our music and we do our musical theater and all this stuff and we never stop to ask, is what I'm doing pleasing to God? Does God want me to play on my sports team next year? Does God want me to be a part of the band next year? Does God want me in musical theater again next year? Some of us never stop and think, does God want me to do this or not? Obviously, with the clear commands of God, we need, we need to follow them. But walking in light looks like a lot more than just, you know, do not murder and do not steal and do not commit adultery. It's a lot more than that, right? And if you, if you kind of justify yourself and think, well, I'm doing a good job because at least I'm not as bad as some people, and you make some kind of lateral comparison, be careful with that. God's word has some things to say to us. First of all, I want us all to turn to the right in our Bibles. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 1. I want to see another passage where he talks about walking in light. I hope this is helpful for you. Turn to the right. It's almost at the end of your Bibles. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. It gets more explanation on this theme. The Bible has a lot to say about light and darkness, and you know, some of it seems kind of mysterious, but this passage is pretty clear. This is 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. Check it out in your Bibles. It says, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. So this is the message of Jesus that we're now sharing with others. That God is light. So what does that mean? God is physically light? No. He's saying something about God's character in this statement. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So in the Bible, whenever you're confronted with the word light, there's two major themes that come underneath that. Okay? One of them is this. Light oftentimes represents truth versus error. Right? So if you don't know the truth or ignorance or error, that is kind of called darkness, where light is like truth. So we use that even in our modern phrase when we say, hey, you were enlightened about something. Or, you know, the old cartoons with the, you know, the light bulb that goes off over someone's head. Right? Same idea. The lights come on. We realize something. Right? You might even use phrases like, oh, it just dawned on me. Right? Like the sun just came up on my head. Right? I just realized something. Light. So God is truth. So in God, is there any falsehood? Does he ever say anything that's not true? Does he ever lie? No, not at all. Okay. Also, in Scripture, not just uh, truth, but another theme that's covered in light is the theme of goodness right? or righteousness, kind of like what Ephesians 5 says. So if something's good, right? what well, we call it, oh, that's light. Well, if something's really evil, or, or we even use the word in our language today, that's really dark for you to say that. Some people, it's like a dark humor, right? They make jokes that are like really like, you know, not good or like really scary. It's like, well, those are like, that's like dark humor. We still use that phrase today. So light in the Bible, what is it? Truth and goodness. Truth and righteousness, which is ex- funny. It's exactly what Ephesians 5 says. The fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So with that in mind, Read this again. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So in God, there's no sin, there's no error. He's not wrong about anything at all. Now, verse 6. Now it points at you. It says, now if we say we have fellowship with him, you claim to know God. You say, I'm a Christian. While we walk in darkness, what's darkness? Either error about God, we believe false things about God, or we're living a life that's not in keeping with God's standards. Well, then... We lie, and we do not practice the truth. That, that's the main message of last week's sermon. Remember when he said that? Like, hey, we need to be honest. If we're not Christians, we need to be honest about that. But, verse 7, if we walk in light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 
super key to understanding walking in light. If we say we walk in light and we don't, well, that's not good. First John goes further, actually not just here, but in other passages. One passage I think of is in chapter 3, verse 21, where it talks about people being confident before God. Walking in light, being confident. It says this, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, or in other words, if we have a clear conscience before God, we feel like we are really living honestly before God. When we sin, we confess it. We don't live in some kind of ongoing sin that we never bring to God. No, but we bring our sin to God. We confess it, and we repent, and we walk in truth. He says if we do that, and our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God. And it affects our prayer life, verse 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Because of two things. These are two markers of, of confidence. Because we keep his commandments, right? We do the yeses and the noes, obviously. That's important, right? God's word is clear. And we do what's pleasing to him. That's where, that, that's the same idea back in our passage. Some of us think, oh, I'm walking in light because I'm keeping my parents' rules. I'm walking in light because I'm at least trying to do the right thing. Or, you know, I'm not breaking any big rules. That means I'm walking in light. Well, be careful because walking in light encompasses more than that. It's not just do I do the yeses or nos and the thous and thous and thou shall nots, right? It also means am I doing what's pleasing to God? That's why in verse 10 of our passage in Ephesians 5, it says discern what's pleasing to the Lord. I read a story about a high school girl who... um, had a situation where she had the ability to please her, her parents or not. I was reading this book, and in the book, it had a story of this girl who was invited to go to um, this very important party where a lot of famous people would be there, including, at the time, this is an old story, uh, but this really happened, the president of the United States was going to be visiting this major function, and only a few high school students got to be invited. There, was, you know, there were tickets involved, and only a few got them. And it was the people who had the best grades and the highest marks, so this one girl was invited, right? She's an honor student. She got invited to this thing. And it's a huge honor, right? Especially back in the day to get invited to something like this where the president is. You're a high school girl and you get invited and on the ticket it says, you know, Sunday, some, you know, day of the year. It was on a Sunday. And the problem was this event would take place while church was happening for them. And she knew that like her dad and their rules were like, hey, we're all going to go to church together as a family. So she was already thinking, I bet I, I, I can't go to this or I shouldn't go to this. So immediately when she got it, she said, hey, can you give this ticket to somebody else? Because I'm sure someone else would like to go. And the teacher immediately was like, wait, wait, why can't you go? Are you busy? And the girl says, well, well, I'm not like busy. I don't have anything particular. I know what's going on. But um, that's when my church meets and I know my parents want me to go. It's like, and the teacher asked further, well, did they say you can't go? Can't you just miss? I mean, why, just at least ask your parents. And the girl said, no, I don't really need to ask my parents because I I already know what they would want me to do. Um, They want me to do what we do as a family. And she gave the ticket to somebody else. That's an interesting story, right? But what it's meant to illustrate is this. If you know your father's will about things, you need to do it. And for some of you, you might think, well, there's not a Bible verse that tells me what I should or should not do in this situation. But if I asked you, well, what do you think God wants you to do? You'd be like, well, yeah, he'd definitely want me to do this. Some of us never ask that question. And and here's some categories, I think, that that we don't ask. And I I want you to ask this morning. I want you to ask yourself um, how you use your free time. How How does God want you to use your free time? We usually just think, oh, I'll just, you know, do my hobbies or hang out with my friends or do what I normally do. I just want you to stop and ask the question, how does God want you to use your free time? 
Because some of it might include your hobbies and some of it might include your friends. But some of us never stop to ask the question, your free time. What about your friends? Does God have an opinion about who you make your closest friends? Right? If you know the Bible, you know that God does. He has a lot to say about that. Do you ever stop and ask, is God pleased with the way I um, interact with my friends? Is he pleased with the jokes I tell with my friends? Is he pleased with the people I even choose to be my closest friends? Would God have wanted me to do this differently? Some of us never ask the question. How about this? Um, how you treat your family. Have you ever stopped and asked, how does God want me to talk to my parents in this situation? How does God want me to interact with my siblings? And as you think of that, you probably think, oh, yeah, I know what God wants. Well, here's the question. Okay, if you know what God wants, are you going to do what God wants? That's what walking in light is. Clear conscience before God. Some of you, the big thing on your mind is, what are you going to do next? Right? That's what everyone asks you. Hey, what are you going to do for college? Hey, what are you going to do after um, high school? And some of us make a lot of big plans about that. But one thing that some of us never stop to consider is, well, where does God want you to go next? Like if you had all your options, let's say, you know, you're accepted into six different schools. Okay, great. That's awesome. Well, then of those six, which one do you think God wants you to go to? Some of us never stop to ask the question. We think, well, you know, the cafeteria at this one's cool, and, you know, this one's far away from family. And, you know, then that, all the, the considerations we take are just like, you know, very practical things for you, and that's not bad to take those into consideration, but there's a bigger problem that we need to face, and it's this. What does God want you to do? But here's the problem. I say all that, and you can't come back to me with a chapter and verse to say, well, God definitely wants me to go to this college or work in this job. So I can't tell you for sure what God wants you to do. So that little phrase in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10, discern what's pleasing to the Lord, I want to help you with that, okay? I got four quick little things that might help you discern what God wants you to do, okay? Here they are. If you're in a situation and you don't know, does God want you to go to this path or this path? This school or that school? These friends or those friends? Four quick steps. First of all, step number one, I want you to ask this question. Is there a direct command in Scripture for you about that topic? So let's, let's bring it back to parents, right? Um, is there a direct command for you about your interaction with your parents? Yes. I can think of two big ones. Right? One in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. Um, Exodus 20 says, honor your father and mother, right? So that needs to be a major consideration because God specifically had it written down so that you would do it. Ephesians 6 says that children are supposed to obey their parents in the Lord for this is right. So I have a clear command in Scripture. Now, that might not sort out every last detail about how you, you know, interact with your parents, but if that's your main goal, hey, God said this, so I definitely need to honor my parents in this situation. God said, I need definitely need to obey my parents in this situation. Well, that's, that's really important. What about in the way that you interact with your siblings? Right? Are there any Bible verses that might talk about loving your brother? Are there any things that Jesus had to say about that? You could go to a lot of clear commands about that. So there's some situations where there are clear commands that help you. Okay? Secondly, though, there are some times that there's not a clear command in Scripture about a situation, but a question you should ask yourself is, are there any principles in the Bible for God's people that would lead you to make a good decision about this? Are there any principles? Here, here's one principle. Some of you might say, um, you know, I don't really know what I want to do for school. I don't know what I want to do for work. So I guess I'll just, you know, figure it out later. And uh, my parents say I can stay with them for, you know, 
a couple years at least. So I don't have to get, they said I don't have to get a job. They said I don't have to go to school. So I'm just going to, you know, going to hang out for a little while. Okay. Scriptures give some principles about that. Why it's not necessarily wrong for you to take a year off of school. Right? The Bible doesn't say, hey, you cannot take a year off of school. But here's what it does say. Right? Book of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians is pretty clear. If you're lazy, right, it's not okay. You can't be lazy. So let's say you're not going to school your first year. Maybe you're going to figure out what you want to do for work or go to a trade school. Well, here's one clear principle in Scripture. You need to do whatever your hand finds you to do and work hard as for the Lord. Colossians 3.23, right? Um, does that say you have to go to a four-year school? It doesn't say that. Does it say you have to work immediately after uh, high school? No, it doesn't. Right? Some of you will work in college. Some of you won't work in college. Some of you won't go to college. Right? But here's the thing that you need to do if you're obeying God. Work of some kind. And by work, I don't mean making money. That could be work in college. Right? Especially if your parents are paying for college, some of them will tell you, your work is to be a good student because I'm not paying for those classes twice. Right? Some of them will tell you that. Great. Then work hard. Um, that's a principle. Bible doesn't say go to college. Bible doesn't say go into the workforce. It just gives you that principle, right? Okay. Third question to consider. Um, when you're trying to make decisions and you say, I don't know what God wants me to do. Ask this question. Is there anything about the character of God that I need to emulate in my life that would lead me to a decision about something? This could be in interpersonal relationships. This could be when it comes to forgiving others. Like, uh, you know, is there anything in Scripture about God's character that if I really act like God says I should act, and if I really act like God, he would do this. Right? That, that's where you start to think, you know, what would Jesus say in this situation? What would Jesus do if he were in my particular situation? What would he do? Knowing what I know about God's character, what would he do? That's basically this question. Yeah. Fourthly, another, this might be the least helpful, but um, would you... Don't answer those, if you can't answer those first three questions, here's another question for you to consider. Um, are there any examples of people in the Bible doing something similar? Right? And how are they portrayed in the text? Right? Are there any situations? One situation comes to mind that's a helpful one is in 1 Samuel 15. Saul is the king. Saul gets a pretty clear command from God about what to do, and uh, he doesn't do it in the exact order. He does things out of order because he thinks, you know what? I know God commanded me to do it in this way, but if I just kind of tweak what he said, it'll really work out for me a little bit better. So he did that, and uh, it looked like it was a successful thing, right? It, it's like if you, you know, it's like if you cheated on your SAT exam and think, well, you know, um, you know, I know it's wrong to cheat, but like this will help me out because this will get me further in life, right? You make these kind of uh, justifications for sin, that's what some of you do with your schoolwork, right? You, you cheat on things, and then you give justifications because you think, well, maybe I can spend more time, you know, serving at church because, you know, I'm cheating on my tests, okay? Um, that sounds crazy, but I bet a lot of people in this room do that, okay? Um, here's where this comes into parallel. Saul said that. He said, you know what? I want to just offer these sacrifices to God, so I'm going to do this thing that God told me not to do. It's just because I want to offer better sacrifices to God. And God comes in pretty clear through the prophet Samuel, and he says, don't you think that to me, obedience is better than sacrifice? God, what does God really want from you? Does he want you to obey him, or does he want some kind of religious service? What's more important to him? And you might say, well, isn't religious service obedience to him? Only if it comes from a right heart. Only if it comes because you've been doing what you need to do. Some of us disobey and then expect God to be okay with our disobedience. 
Ask yourself if God is pleased with your choices. Now, um, that's what's unclear, but here's what's clear. Right? Our passage says very clearly in Ephesians chapter 5, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Don't become partners with, with those people who are, who are doing wrong. Here's what I want you to write down for point number two for that. I want you to just commit. I want to quit participating in the world's sin. Quit participating in the world's sin. If that's who you are and what you do, um, and you're a Christian, you're claiming I'm following God, well, quit participating. How do we participate? Well, when you laugh at what they laugh at, when you start to talk like them after spending a lot of time with them, when you lust after the same things that they put out, and you think, well, I didn't post this thing, but, but, but if you take part in it, he says, take no part. When you take the substances that they take that, that keep them from thinking clearly, keep them from being sober-minded, that don't even allow them to obey that command, to stay sober-minded, that's what it looks to partake in sin. Now, a verse you probably have heard before in a, in a dating context um, that I want you to take and, and realize is more than about that is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, which says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. It's this old farming picture of a big uh, collar that would go around these oxen, and you wanted them to be the same size, so if you had an ox and a donkey, right, two different size animals, they couldn't plow in a straight line. It'd be like if you took your car and you took a monster truck tire and put it on your front right, and then a Prius tire on your front left, right? How would you drive? Not very well, right? I guess it's possible. You go a little bit, but you could not drive 65 miles an hour on the freeway, right, with those tires. That's what he's saying. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. If your uh, partnerships, and this is a lot about business partnerships, right? He's talking about people who are doing life together all the time, which includes things like who you get married to, but it, it's more than that. It's, it's even now for you, the people that you make your best friends. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. You might say, why? Well, Paul says, for what partnership? He asks you a question. What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Answer, none. Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Answer, none. Right? It's one or the other. What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? The point is, you shouldn't be surprised if you get pulled down by the world's sin if you're making all these partnerships with them. I'd say the same thing to you. Some of you guys wonder, like, man, why am I not overcoming sin? Why am I not getting past this? And I say, well, let's look at your friends real quick. Let's look at all the people you spend time with. Let's look with... Let's look at who you spend time with on your phone. It doesn't have to be people that are spending time with you. It just has to be with what you're filling your mind with. Then it's like, oh, well, that's why. That's why we're not growing. That's why we're not moving forward. Because you're unequally yoked. That doesn't mean that you have to cut off every relationship with a non-Christian. Just know that. The Bible does not say that. In fact, it says the opposite. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, it says, uh, Paul talks to these Christians. He says, I wrote to you my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Now that's like, wait a minute, does that mean anybody who's committed sexual immorality I need not hang out with? And then he says, I'm not meaning the sexually immoral people of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters since if that's what I was writing to you, then you'd have to go out of the world. So the point is, that's not what I'm talking about. His context was, he was saying, hey, if you've got people in the church who are in unrepentant sin, you've got people who've done wrong and will not turn back to the Lord, your relationship with them does need to change. But he's saying, no, no, no. For the people that are out in the world that don't know the gospel, I'm not talking about them, right? I'm not talking you can't talk to them. No, no, you're gonna be with them. In fact, that's the only way to shine the light that he's about to talk about. To say, awake, O sleeper, and to expose sin, the only way to do that is if you have relationships with people who are in the world. In verse 12, he says, you know, the 
things that they do in secret are, are shameful to even speak of. My fear is when we talk about exposing sin, some of you might think, okay, great. Yeah, there's all this bad stuff that my friends are doing, and I want to just like dig it all up. I want to know all the dirty, gross details, okay? The Bible says don't do that. Don't, that. That's not what we're talking about. 1 Corinthians 14, 20 says, in your thinking, be mature, but in evil, be like infants, right? To the pure, all things are pure, Titus 1, 15. Some people grow some kind of perverted desire to know everyone's details, it's wrong, right? To know every last little um, thing that someone did in the dark, that's, that's not what we're talking about. Right? In fact, you do that, the more you do that, you will be corrupted by that. You talk to your leaders about that. Maybe they've had experience with that. They've, they've known too much or seen too much. And it's like, it actually didn't help at all. It just made a lot of things worse. Verse 11 to 14 is all about this. Um, instead of taking part in those evil deeds, exposing them. But what does that look like? Just before I explain what that looks like, write this down for point number three. I want you to expose the truth about sin with the gospel. Expose the truth about sin with the gospel. That doesn't mean you're diving into everyone's life and pointing out all the things that they're doing wrong, but it does mean this, that your witness to them shows them the reality about their sin. A, that they are sinners. B, that their sin is not as good as they think it is. For you to live a life before them that's repentant kind of shows them that what they're doing is not great. That's a soft way of putting it, not great. It's evil. Here's the problem. Most people want to fit in more than anything else. And if I were to ask any high school student, hey, what's the top priority for you? Most of them would say something like this, oh, fitting in. This passage literally says the exact opposite. You can't always fit in. That doesn't mean that everyone has to look at you and call you a weirdo all the time. It just means if you're going to be a Christian, you're not always going to fit in. In fact, you're going to stand out like light in darkness. That's as stark of standing out as possibly could be, right? Problem is people don't like this, right? When their sin is exposed, they don't like it. John 3 says that. Jesus said this in John chapter 3, verse 19. Listen to what he said. He says, this is the judgment. Light has come into the world. That's him. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. They wanted to keep their sins hidden. And that's why for some of you, before you became a Christian, you had this resentment to church or the gospel or, or to people talking. To you. you didn't want people asking you about your testimony because you're like, it's, it's, I want to keep it in the dark. But then later he'll say, hey, if you want to bring your sin to light and want to confess your sin, God's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. He'll do that. But people don't usually like the light. Um, how do you do this? That's a very important question. I've asked it multiple times. Let me answer it for you in two ways, two things, okay? Um, I think there are two things that expose sin in the way that he's talking about here. That's, that's a good way for us to go. First of all, your life will expose it, okay? If you're walking in light, here's the first big thing under point number three. Um, your life will actually expose people's sin. What does that look like? It looks like you living righteously before God, and then once you get close to people, Right? When you're doing what's right and you're avoiding what's wrong, the closer you get to people, the more they're aware that they're different than you, and sometimes they'll push you away for it. Right? John chapter 3, because they love the darkness. Some of you have been pushed away from friend groups because it's like, well, you, you, know, you don't want to do all the stuff we, we used to do. You don't talk like us anymore. Well, that means you are being like light, and they don't like it. Okay? But your life starts to expose people's sin when you're doing what's righteous. Jesus put it like this in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you are the salt of the earth, which is supposed to preserve your friendships. Okay? Preserve your friendships, not that the relationships will last forever. 
preserve, as in, then he goes on to say, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how will it be restored? If you've lost your good witness and you're acting exactly like them, what ground do you have to go tell them that they should be saved from their sin? That they can turn right around to you and say, but you do all the same stuff you're telling us not to do. They're right. You have no grounds. That's what this passage is all about. Walk in light so you can be a light. Then he says, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. People don't light a lamp and hide it, but they put it on a stand for all to see. It says in the same way, this is Matthew 5, 16. Jesus said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Here's an interesting thought. Maybe you've never thought about it before, but there are people right now, this Sunday morning, who are in the presence of God, who are praising God, partially for the good works that they saw in people who lived before. There are people in heaven right now who lived and died, let's say, 100 years ago or 200 years ago, who were brought to saving faith, and the first step for them was seeing the difference in someone's life. And right now, before God, they're praising God for that guy or that girl or that teenager or that old lady who did righteous deeds and good things, and it showed them their sin, exposed their sin. And right now, they're praising God for their good deeds. Doesn't feel like it right now if you're doing righteous things and people are rejecting you for it, but one day there will be people in heaven who thank God that you stood out. That needs to be motivation for you. There are people at your school, Lord willing, that one day will stand before God and they will thank God for your righteous deeds, but you've got to do them. You've got to stand out. And if you feel like you're not getting anywhere with people, it's because it doesn't happen all at once. That's the first way. Your life will expose it. Secondly, this might be more obvious, but your clear communication of the gospel of Jesus exposes it. What exposes sin in the world? What exposes the sin of your friend groups? Well, first of all, it's that you're living different. Sometimes that makes people feel uncomfortable. That makes people feel, and they'll say this too, like you're judging me. It's like, I'm I'm just not doing what you're doing. It's very interesting how they feel that exposure. The next time, you know, you're just hanging out with somebody, you're just talking to somebody, and you're trying to be nice, right? And you're a Christian and they're not a Christian. You're trying to build some kind of relationship with them to share the gospel. And before you even get to the gospel, they say, I feel like you judge me with your life. What just happened was Ephesians 5. It just happened. Ephesians 5.11. Your life had been exposing them. So they felt that. You didn't even have to say anything. But the minute you talk about the gospel, that's what people a lot lot of times feel. You're judging me. You're, You're exposing me. Again, I hope you know that the Bible doesn't say you're supposed to be a hypocritical judge and go uh, point out everyone's sin. We made that pretty clear, but people will feel that way. I'd love for you to write this verse down. It's just uh, it's so clear when it comes to God exposing the truth. The second Corinthians chapter four, verses one to six. It's a long passage. As you're writing it down, listen to it. Paul says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We've renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. He says, look at our lifestyle. We've done everything to get rid of sin in our life. And if I'm preaching the gospel, he says, look at my lifestyle. Then he says, even if our gospel is veiled, even if people can't see it right now, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ, who is the image of God. Verse number five says, 
for what we proclaim is not ourselves. We're not telling everybody, hey, we're such good people. Hey, we're such good people. Hey, look at my life. I'm so amazed. That's not our message. Right? And if that's your message, it needs to stop. Right? For some of you, you'll be tempted to have that be your message. He says, that's not our message. But we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. That's our message to people. Why are you living the way you're living? Oh, not because, oh, just you know, try to be a good guy, try to be a good girl. No, it's because Jesus Christ is my Lord. That's the reason. With ourselves as servants, for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness in Genesis chapter one, has shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, I say all that, I read all that, because what I want to show you is it's our role to shine God's light to people, but you need to know that it's God's role to open people's blind eyes. If you feel like, man, I'm shining the light and they're not getting it, and I feel like I'm sharing the truth and they're not getting it, okay, don't lose heart. Just like he says, I'm not losing heart. I'm going to continue to do it because God has the power to open blind eyes. Jesus will ultimately turn the lights on. Right? As much as I'm saying, hey, you're the person who walks around again, that's not a job anybody wants. You don't want to be the person that's going into people's rooms and waking them up from their sleep. You get a lot of hate for that. Right? If you're a person who makes wake-up calls at a hotel right, and calling people, waking them up, that's not a fun job right? because you're the deliverer of bad news, so to speak. It might not be a job that you want, but just realize that it's what needed to happen for you. I hope even in this sermon as we think about this text, I hope that you're thankful um, for the small group leaders, the people in your life that kind of shine the light and said, you need to be right with God. If that's true, I want you to take that upon yourself and realize that God has called you to the same task as well. I want to pray right now. I'm going to do what we talked about before. Can you guys grab your Bibles, grab your stuff? Let's stand up real quick, and we're going to pray. Let's thank God for his word. Let's thank God for what we just learned and ask him for help. And then we're going to take a field trip. I know that's what you're looking forward to. All right, let's pray right now. God, we recognize you as our Lord. We recognize that whatever we do, we want to do for you. We're not doing it for ourselves. We don't want to live a, a, a Christian life so that we look good before people. We want to do it for your glory. So I pray that you would help us in the various different um, situations that these students find themselves in with family and school and work, and sports. Uh, I just ask that you would make them a light to the people that they're around. I pray that first they'd start by walking in light and that many of them who feel like they're faking it would just give up faking it and turn to you and seek forgiveness from you. I'm thankful that you've done that for so many of us and I pray that um, as we go out this week and we seek to be lights to others that you would give us success and you'd begin to open blind eyes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.